0: A couple of things, though. First one, if you would, you might have already sat down on it, but go ahead and grab out your Easter survey. Uh, We take this event that is Easter this idea that all of us come to church on the same weekend that's funnier to me than it is to you all right but just this, this idea we take that to get a little bit of information from you this is nothing for nothing to invade your privacy nothing at all this is just a way for us to kind of take stock uh, and find out where you are in your spiritual journey uh, give us a little bit of an idea and we always do a series later on in the year called you asked for it uh, where we answer this first question so number one if you would look at your survey number one says i'd like to hear a message what the Bible says about, and we left that blank. Now that has been dangerous in years past that we have left it blank. And I have felt the pressure to give you fill in the blank stuff and some, you know, options to check from, but I'd like leaving it blank. Cause I like to hear what you say. All right, everybody. So you can write in whatever you want. And like every year on Easter, I have brought you my favorite questions from last year. All right. The ones that didn't make it into the, you asked for it series. And you'll see why in just a moment. But my top favorite question last year was this. It was seriously, I think I heard a squirrel in Service, come on, somebody. And so you might remember every year on Easter, I give you an update on our battle with the squirrels here on campus because they ruin everything. They eat everything. They have taken up residence in three out of the four buildings, and I think they're in the fourth one already. And so I would just say to you, the update in the war with the squirrels is we are losing. All right, everybody, we have we are losing badly, and that's just the way that it is. All right, so I don't know about this. Second favorite question I have: Watch this. Can we get some melted butter on at the movies popcorn? This you would think this was only one person. We got this multiple times. All right, everybody. And the question, the answer is, I don't know. Bring your own. All right, just bring your we just don't. And then my third one, and this one is almost every year we get this is the world ending in 2021. And I'm here to tell you, no, the world did not end in 2000. I can say with confidence that it will not. All right. So I just look forward to whatever your questions are this year. And we take the top five spiritual questions and we turn them into a series. You asked for it where we just walk through in five Sundays, every question that you guys asked, uh, just walking through the what the Bible has to say. This is not Pastor Ben's opinion on those things. This is what does the Bible have to say about those things? And so we love that question. Number two, though, is I would like to have a conference focused on this is a new one for this year. Uh, we are doing our marriage conference in the summer. Excited about that coming up in just a few weeks. Would love to have you sign up for that. But if you would like something, maybe focus on something a little bit different, we'd love to just gauge the temperature on that. And then the final question, is there anything we can pray for you about? Is there anything that we can join with you in prayer? Because we believe as a church that prayer works. This is not some ritual that we do. This is not just so we can check the box that we prayed. We believe that prayer works and we want to join with you in whatever that is. And so I promise you each and every card is prayed over individually by the pastoral team. We'd love to have you fill that out. We'd love to pray over that with you and see a victory in your life. Amen, everybody. Come on. Amen, everybody. Where is everybody today? All right, but happy Easter to you. Once again, it is an honor to be in the room with all of you guys. Now, Easter has always been a part of my life. I kind of grew up in church, and so Easter has always been a big deal. Easter is when you wear your nice clothes. Come on, somebody. You dress up for Sunday. So go ahead and look at the person next to you and say, you look pretty nice this week. Come on. And look at the person on your other side, your second choice. Come on, look over at them and say, what happened to you the other 51 weeks of the year? What's that all... Come on, growing up though, Easter, I don't know if you grew up in church where you had to dress up every single Sunday. I don't know if that was you growing up. But for me, it was Easter, all right? Come on, all seven of you that agree with that. We just, for me, it was Easter, right? Easter was the time you had to put on your slippery black dress socks, the ones that were so tight and cut off circulation in your legs. And I hated that because I wanted to wear my white athletic socks growing up when I was four or five years old. All I wanted to do was wear my not because you had to wear your black slippery socks because they went well with your dress pants. Come on, somebody which I also despised. I hated those dress pants and I would try to get them dirty on purpose so I could wear my jeans. Come on. And my mother still had clean dress pants for me to wear. I don't know. It was a miracle of Easter. It just was a... Just un... Unbelievable. And then Easter, of course, you had to get up extra early, right? And get to church because you weren't a Christian unless you got to church before the tomb was empty. Come on, somebody. You had to get sunrise service, baby, before while it was still dark. And so I'm out there in my pants. I don't like socks. I don't like freezing cold singing songs. But I loved it because after that service, before the main service, there would always be donuts in the foyer. Come on, somebody. And so that was the miracle of Easter, that little potluck of hard boiled eggs and donuts. Come on. that just that's living right there. That's what I would love to have. And so as much as I enjoyed Easter, as much as the amazing parts of it, and as much as Easter has become this amazing celebration of the church, and we come together in all the spiritual themes, one of the dangers of Easter that I've kind of seen creep up in recent years, and honestly, it's always been a problem at Christmas, but not so much as Easter until now, is that Easter has this, this tendency or this danger of becoming an event. And so you've got all the things surrounding it. Some of them are new. Some of them are old. But you have, right, the Easter brunches and the Easter dinner and the get-togethers and the eggs and the hunts and all the different things that we can do. And all the fun things and the get and all the stuff and the outfits and the pictures, right? Because if you don't take a picture, Lord knows it didn't happen. So you have to document everything about it. So all these things kind of spring up. And the danger of that is they make Easter an event. And so today I want to talk to you just a little bit because there's one main theme right that happens, But I want to talk to you about this idea that maybe resurrection isn't just an event, but it's an experience that all of us have been called to have. That it's not just an event that we come together and we eat the eggs and we celebrate and we have the brunches and we do all of those things. But maybe it's an experience that God called all of us to have on our spiritual journey. That God has called each one of us to experience on the journey that we're in. And so that's my prayer for you today. We're going to go to Galatians chapter 3 for just a few moments because it's easy for us to miss What God wants to do on Easter. And Paul actually deals with it in Galatians. It's not really a new problem. Kind of fakes you out there. Paul deals with this way back in Galatians chapter 3. and verse 1. And he says, O foolish Galatians. Who has cast an evil spell on you? Who has cast an evil spell on you? And I want to look at that verse first. I want to talk about that word foolish. Because he's not saying that they're stupid. Alright? That's not what Paul is saying in there. The original Greek of that word foolish. It means thoughtless. It means you're being thoughtless about your spiritual life, about your spiritual journey. You're not taking thought. And honestly, what he's trying to say, and he'll go on in the chapter to say this, is there are people around you. There are those maybe in your life. There are those who are coming around the culture around you that are thoughtless about the spiritual journey. And you've allowed it to seep into the church as well. Honestly, he's saying you're in maybe a stream of thought that God's not in. You've allowed this thing to take control of who you are and what you think. And God's not in that. And so he's saying, oh, foolish Galatians, you're moving away from an authentic experience with God that you started with. And I wonder how much of that is seeping into the American church today. That we have all of these anti-Christ principles or these anti-biblical mentalities that are finding their way in. And so we found ourselves redefining things like love or morality. We find ourselves redefining things that the Bible is very clear about. And so we're, we're shaping this. We're being thoughtless about the spiritual journey because of the stream that we're in. And I think sometimes it's important for us just to wake up and realize what it is that we believe and what the Bible actually says about who we are. And we have to be the church even in the culture that we're in. And so Paul is dealing with that in Galatians. And I love the fact that as he deals with the church, he's like, who is it? Because Paul already knows who it is. All right. He's just asking kind of superficially. He's saying, I already know who these people are because most of Paul's earthly ministry was spent fighting these people. This was a group of people called the Judaizers that had worked their way into the church in the early church. And Paul has spent his time fighting against them. I'll try to tell you what's happening. Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world and spread the gospel. He looked at his 12 and he said, go into all the world, gave them the great commission. Well, they didn't really leave Jerusalem. They just kind of wanted to stay out where they were and where the Pentecost happened. And so God was like, okay, you guys aren't doing a good job. I got to go find somebody else. And so he finds Paul and he's like, maybe this guy will do it for me. All right, maybe this guy. So the battle plan began. You 12 take Jerusalem and I'll take the rest of the world. That was Paul's kind of, kind of plan for it. Now, the disciples got it in gear later on. The apostles had amazing legacies that they finally left in spreading the gospel. But basically, Paul was like, I'm going to spread the news to all of the non-Jews, what the Bible calls the Gentiles. And so this was basically those people... Who did not grow up believing in Yahweh. They didn't grow up knowing all of the rules of Judaism. They didn't grow up knowing all of the laws that they had to follow. Which was okay because now we're saved by grace. And so Paul begins to preach this in the gospel to all of the church. He makes converts all over the world. The world is on fire for Jesus. And he starts to have this revival that happens. But then this group would come behind him. And they would actually follow right behind Paul in all the cities that he was spreading the Gospels. And they were known as the Judaizers. And Judaizers were actually Christians. And so they believed in the Lord, but they also loved all of their laws. They loved all of their Jewish rules that they had followed. So they'd come on the heels of Paul. And Paul would be spreading the Gospel and seeing just revival happen in all of these cities. And then the Judaizers would come right on the heels of that to all of the new converts, all of these Gentiles. And they'd say, it's great that you got saved. Welcome to the club. We're so excited that you're saved. Now let us introduce you to all of the rules you need to follow in order to actually be a Christian. It's awesome that you listen to Paul. We love Paul. Paul is great. But let us show you what it really means to follow Christ. All the checkboxes that you now have to do. All the things that you have to do in order to assure yourself of salvation. Let us introduce you what Christianity actually is. And so you can imagine how mad this would make Paul. That he's gone through preaching the actual gospel. And now these Judaizers are following. And finding all of these new converts. And trying to introduce them to the laws of the Jews. To say this is what you need to do. And all the boxes to check. And of course the chief argument. And you may have heard this before. The chief argument that they had was this law of circumcision. That this was the, the symbol of the covenant that God made with Abraham. But God had abolished all of that. We're no longer under that covenant. We're under the new covenant of Jesus Christ. And so none of that is needed. But they brought this into the church. And so it created this tension in the early church. This idea You can imagine how that would impact today. Hey, everybody, we're so glad that you decided to follow Jesus. If you made that decision today, if you haven't been circumcised, we have doctors waiting in the lobby for following the service. Okay, it impacted the early church the same way it would impact today. People were like, nope, that's it. I'm out. You know, that's I'm just thank you very much. Praise the Lord. That's just too far for me. And so Paul is furious. It impacted church growth the exact way it would today. Paul is like Paul is beyond himself when he addresses this group. And so he's saying, foolish Galatians, who has put this evil spell on you? Who has perverted the gospel that I brought? That you started this whole thing. Who has brought this thing today? And so it's messing up what God is trying to do. And so Paul's like, who's messing up your theology? Who's in your ear? Who's trying to pervert the gospel? Who's trying to keep you from following God? Who's caused you to drift from this thing? And that word evil spell is important. That terminology there. Because honestly, it could be translated almost like the evil eye. This is this idea that they put this evil eye, this coercion through envy or slander, this this high and mighty kind of stank eye that they would put on people, this way of getting people to follow their way by shaming them for the way that they were. This evil eye that they would put. And honestly, this is where the professional Christians come into play, if you all know what I'm talking about. Like they put that evil eye on people, this idea that I am so good and you are so bad that I can coerce you to try to be like me because of how good I am that I have this evil eye. They feel like they've got it all together and all of the rules that they put this on people that maybe don't look like them or act like them or talk like them. That act like they put this evil eye on them. Well, no, y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, Look at them like, really, you need that many holes in your jeans? Like, really, you just need really you need that many tattoos on your body like you just you just have to you know really you couldn't be on time for church because I am always on time for church and I just you know how great I am y'all know what I'm talking about put that evil eye on people and too many times professional Christians like to do that same way that Paul was addressing this in the church it's been happening all throughout church history like maybe some of you this is your first time you're back at church in a long time or maybe it's your first time and you kind of anticipated even driving here that somebody would put that stink eye on you like really you're back now like, really, really, you're going to come. I've been here all 52 weeks of the year. I was here all the way. I came here when the COVID was at its height. I was here at the church. I was banging on those doors to help them to open up. for I, You really, you come back now. You're not as good as I am. You don't know what I'm talking about. We get this evil eye that we try to put on people. Well, Paul is addressing this in the church. He's addressing this in Galatians. In fact, as I mentioned, I grew up in church, but I really didn't have a choice of which church to attend because my dad was the pastor. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and let me just say, I wouldn't have wanted to attend anywhere else because I loved church growing up. I enjoyed it. I, man, I just I loved everything about it. But I was so curious. I love to study the body of Christ and different ways of worshiping different denominations. I was fascinated by it. And so growing up, I had this fascination with the way that different Christians and different denominations would worship. And so when I went to college, I was out of state. And so I thought, this is my chance. I'm going to visit every church that I could possibly visit. I'm going to see I made a pact with myself. I'm going to visit a new church every single Sunday, every Wednesday. I'm just going to go out there and I would just try because I never had that opportunity that maybe some of you have had where you make a list of churches. Right. And kind of try them out and see which one is the best one for you and see what's a good fit for your family. I never had that opportunity. So I thought this is my chance. I'm going to go visit every single one. And honestly, I got to tell you, just to be honest in church today, my motives weren't 100 percent pure, even though I love the Lord. Because what I would try to do is I would try to go to the smallest churches I could find that I knew probably didn't have very many guests or very many people who looked different than them just so I could freak them out. Come on, somebody. I just thought... So I'd roll up in my pajama pants and my like wrinkled shirt and flip flops looking, honestly, looking like I got trashed the night before. I just would show up, like roll up into church and I'd sit in the back and not to be irreverent, but I just wanted to see what would happen. I just love that idea because I honestly I've never had in my life where I didn't know how not to act in church. How not to dress like you need to to go to church. How not to know where to stand and where to sit and what songs to sing and what to say in order. And so I love this season of life where nobody knew me. I love the Lord, but man, I messed up some church services. Come on, somebody. I just I had to think because I didn't know I knew they didn't have a ton of people who would come through their doors who maybe looked different or talked different or acted different than they were. And so I had this this thing and I knew the songs and I knew the the statue and I knew all the things about it. But I've always had this fascination, honestly, with the perspective of an outsider that I would just begin. I wanted to see church, what it would look like if you knew nothing about God, because I don't know if you know this, if you've loved the Lord for a long time. But church can get pretty weird for people who don't know anything about God. I don't know if you know I'm going to hit a couple of nerves today. I'm going to mess up this church service. Come on, somebody. I don't have my pajama pants. All right. That'll be another Sunday this year. But church can get pretty weird for people who know nothing about God, because honestly, we get into these ruts sometimes and we think everybody knows what we know and everybody has just experienced what we have experienced. But oftentimes that is not the case. And so unfortunately, unintentionally, we will create environments that push people away. It got quiet on Easter this morning. I don't know about it. we will create environments. That I, so we say that we believe in the Great Commission. We say that our our vision is to reach the lost. But then we'll turn the stank eye on anybody who doesn't dress like us, act like us, talk like us. And we'll look at people with judgment who don't actually act like us and don't talk like us. And we will push people away even while we say that we want to fulfill the Great Commission. We'll push them away with our attitudes, our actions. And we kind of judge people and then we'll say weird things. I don't know if you know this, but we have a language that is all our own here in the church. All right, There is Christianese that I don't know if if you've been in the church a long time that we will start to say things. Like if a pastor gets up and like, thank you, everybody, aren't you proud and aren't you glad that we are washed in the blood? Well, we all know that that means we've been forgiven of our sins. But to an unchurched person who's never heard anything about God, never been in church before, they're like, these people wash in blood? Like this... Like, I knew this was a cult. We are out of here. Like, we checked in our kids. Go get them. Like, go get our... Like, this is nuts. This is all... We have these things that we say that we know what they mean. But honestly, to an unchurched person, sometimes we just have to be aware. So I always wanted to experience church from the lens of an outsider. If you've ever had that opportunity, I would encourage you to take it. To experience church, what it looks like from somebody who's never heard about God. Maybe somebody who's never experienced the love of Jesus. Somebody who doesn't know that their sins have been forgiven. If they'll just accept the love. It's somebody who's never been in church. If you would experience that from an outsider. So I love that season of my life. And honestly, a few weeks in, I actually got invited to church by somebody. He didn't know that I was a Christian, invited me to his church with him. And honestly, he should have been worried how fast I said yes. Come on, somebody. He should have just taken that as a warning sign. Cause I showed up, met him out front, right? Dressed like I normally was. And we went inside. I'm just playing dumb, right? Let him introduce me to people. We're interested, you know, explain about the music, all these things. But then we sat on the front row and nothing against the front row. But I remember on that Sunday, I'm like, well, this is a little strange, but there was no stage in that church. And so the pastor was about three and a half feet in front of me that entire time. And I remember for over 90 minutes, he preached hellfire and brimstone in that church, And I thought, man, bad luck to be sitting on the front row this week. Just bad. Just just not a great week to be doing. Little did I know, I found out later that when my buddy radioed ahead that he had a guest coming on that Sunday, they changed the whole service just to save me. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Changed the whole message, changed the songs they sang. Everything was to save. And so for an hour and a half, he looked at me and was like, you are going to hell unless you repent of your sins. You're going to die and burn for all eternity unless you turn from your ways. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh Lord, why, am I, why did I ever experience, why did I ever introduce, why did I ever accept an invitation to this? And sat there and did. And honestly, it wasn't just them. About 80% of the churches I went to did the same exact thing around the altar call time. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If there's anybody in this place, who needs to receive Jesus? And they weren't like, is there anybody in this place all over this place? They were like, is there anybody in this place? <laughs> and you got to receive Jesus right now. He said, are you sure? Are you sure? And I promise you, if you are a visitor to church, you are the only visitor there. You feel the pressure of every eye in that building on you. Honestly, it's why I do altar calls the way that I do. Some of you asked me in the past because I know that that pressure of being the only guest sitting on the front row with the pastor pointing his finger right at your nose. Are you sure? Are you sure? Now, honestly, I love their passion. I love the idea that they are passionate about what I really think they believe, what they are preaching. I really think they have a heart to reach the lost. I love the fact that they wanted me to get saved. I despise the fact they thought I was going to hell because I didn't look like them. I didn't act like them. I didn't dress like them. I love their passion for reaching the lost. I despise the fact that they would look down their nose at somebody who maybe looked a little bit different. We try to put the pressure or the stink eye on somebody, try to feel that pressure. And so I have lived with that every time I try to introduce somebody to Jesus. Anytime I try to share the gospel, I have lived knowing the pressure that people experience when you are in a church service. You feel like every eye is on you. I have been saved all of my life and I still felt the pressure be like, yes, me, me, Lord. I just save me right now. Just get me out of this place, Lord. Just get me. I have felt that pressure and I promise you, we as a church, sometimes, sometimes we have allowed ourselves to try to put that evil eye on people. Try to judge people because they look different than us, because they act different than us. Because they maybe talk a little different than us. And I love the idea, love the idea that we would be a church. There's no pressure here. There's no stink eye here. All we want to do is introduce people to Jesus, that our calling, that we're going to reach the church. We're going to reach people for the Great Commission. I think it's important for us to remember, oh, foolish Galatians, it's important to remember those of you who may be new to the gospel. Those of you who may be new to all of this, maybe you've given your life to Jesus, but you're kind of new to these things. I just would warn you that there are groups that would love to swoop in and try to say it's great that you've been saved. It's great that you put your trust in Jesus. But now let us teach you how to really be a Christian. Let us teach you the check boxes that you really need to follow, the real things that you need to do. And so Paul is writing to them, and Paul's like, don't get caught up in all that. This is the tension of the gospel. And so today I want to just kind of walk through the rest of Galatians chapter 3 to introduce you to what the gospel actually is. Because I think maybe sometimes you, some of us have never heard what the gospel actually is. And maybe some of us it's just a good reminder of what Jesus actually preached. And so we're going to walk through this chapter. It's just a good reminder that it's simply not about us. And so verse 2, he said, let me ask you this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? What he's trying to say is, did you get close to God by obeying the law? He's asking these Christians, these Galatians, these new Christians of the faith. He's saying, did it happen? Did, it, did you actually receive salvation by obeying the law of Moses? Because you tried really hard or you really did everything under your own effort. Is that how you got saved? Is that how you got close to God? And he says, of course not. You received the spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ, that you believe the message that you heard about Jesus. You put your faith in him. You believe that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, that you could be saved. You put your trust. You believe that you were redeemed of your sins because of the cross of Christ. That's how you received your salvation. He's saying it wasn't because of the law of Moses. You didn't start this whole thing because you followed the law. He's saying, Judaizers, you didn't start this whole thing because you had those. He said, you believed in Jesus that he paid the price for our sins. So then verse three, he says, how foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the spirit, after believing in Jesus, after starting all of these things? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? He's saying you started this whole thing by trusting. Why are you trying to make it happen by trying? You started all of this by putting your trust in Jesus. Why are you trying to perfect it by trying under your own effort? He said, how foolish can you be? Paul's like, what is happening in this church? What's going on in your lives? Why are you allowing these people? Who are these people that you've allowed to speak into your life? That you started this thing right. That you knew it wasn't about the law. You knew it wasn't about your own effort. You started it by trusting. Now you're trying to perfect it by trying. And he's saying somewhere along the way, you started this thing right. Somewhere along the way, we started right. Knowing that it's because of the cross of Jesus, because of his love and his blood, nothing we could do. We started this thing right, but somewhere along the way, we perverted the gospel. And we started to say, well, now I know it started right, but now I've got to do something. I've got to, under my own effort, I've got to make this thing happen. I'm not going to heaven unless I check these boxes, and so I need to make this happen. Somewhere along the way, we make it about how holy we are and how many rules we follow and how great we are. And we've let that bleed into our church. Now, that's a natural thing because if you're taking notes, you can jot it down. At our core, honestly, if we're trying to follow God, at our core, everybody wants to be good. We want to be good. That, that's just a thing that's part of us. If we're Christians, if we're trying to follow God, even non Christians, everybody wants to be good because let's be honest for just a minute. Grace doesn't make sense. If we're just honest in God's house today, grace just doesn't make any sense. The Bible says it is foolishness, it confounds the wise. This idea of grace that I am a sinner. I am lost and I am in my sin. I am drowning in my sin. And the only thing I need to do to go to heaven is to put my faith in Jesus. It doesn't make sense. Like he's got to want something from me. He's got to, it's, it's got to be something. more. I've got to pay a penalty. I've got to pay something. I've got to give more. I've got to serve. There's got to be something that I do under my own effort to get to heaven. There's got to be something. I can't just confess with my mouth and believe with my heart. There's got to be something more. And so we work this thing up. We say, yeah, grace is great, but now I've got to add something to it. I really love the idea of grace, but it doesn't make sense in my mind. And so I think I'll just make it a little bit better in my life. I think I'll just do some good things. I think I'll just kind of do it. And we fall for the trap of trying to earn our way to God. There's a problem with that. Paul addresses it in verse 10. And he says, but those who depend on the law to make them right with God, watch this, are under his curse. And so Paul is saying, those who depend on it are under the curse, for the scripture says, cursed is anyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So here's the problem. We say, hey, praise the Lord for grace. I love grace. Praise the Lord. We'll sing about grace, but I got to do some things to add to it. I've got to add some things to grace to make it palatable to myself, to my own conscience, to my own mind, to my, my idea of how this thing should work because I got to kind of shore those things up. And so I've got to keep the laws and I've got to do those things. I've got to pay the penalty. I'm going to make it all about me and get really good at following all of the rules. And God said, that's fine. You can do that. You can, you can try that way to get close to God. But listen to me, if you do that, if you want to be held to the standard of the law, then all of a sudden you are held to the standard of the law. And now anytime you sin, you've broken all of the law. Anytime you sin now in your life, you are under the curse. Anytime you try to use this as your way to get to God, then suddenly you're under the curse. And so jot it down if you're taking notes. Everybody wants to be good, but no one is good enough. We all want to be good. We all have this idea. But then we get on this path of thinking, I'm going to work my way to God. I'm going I'm to figure out a way that I can get myself under my own effort. I believe that somehow it's going to happen. And I can get my way to God. And then at the end of the day, we realize that nobody, once we set down that path, nobody can make it. Nobody I don't care how good you think you are. Not one of us is good enough. Romans 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, watch this. Surely there is not a good person on earth who does always good and never sins. And all the married people say amen. Come on, somebody. <clears throat> there is not a good person on earth who always does good and never... Somebody like, amen, pastor. I witnessed that this morning. I just, I'm just, i just a witness. <laughs> always does good and never sin. good the truth is we are all human and we all fall short we are all human and we all fail we have moments of weakness and so we sin and so if you're trying to earn your way to god the truth is we are inherently sinful and all of a sudden we sin once and then we disqualify ourselves instantly as soon as we sin we put our lives under a curse because it only takes one sin to mess up only takes one sin to make a sinner y'all know that right you understand that only takes one sin to make a sinner. It's kind of like murder, to be honest with you. It's kind of like just murder. How many murders does it take to make you a murderer? Come on, somebody. It takes one. It takes one, one murder. Come on. You need to know that. I don't know if you just are tired today, but if you didn't come to Easter for any other reason, one murder makes you a murderer. All right, everybody? You just need- It's just universally accepted. That's just the way... Now, lest you think I am harping on murder. I have met murderers who God has turned their life around. David was a murderer. Moses was a murderer. It doesn't have to define your life. God could turn the bad to good. God can turn your life around. God can use you. Some of the great heroes of the faith. But honestly, all of us are inherently. We are liars and we are greedy and we are lustful and we are sinful and we are prideful and we are thieves. Aren't you glad you came to Easter today? All of us have this in our lives. And so if we think we're going to work our way to God, all it takes is one sin to make a sinner, to put our lives under the curse. That all of us are inherently sinful. All of a sudden, we disqualify ourselves. And what happens is we do then what the world wants us to do. If we can't be good, then we redefine what good means. If we can't live up to good, because good in the Bible means to never sin. Good in the Bible means sinless and so if we can't live up to that we'll just redefine what good means and so then good becomes not sinless good becomes that I just do enough good more than I do bad it's this 51% theology this idea if I can just do more good than I do bad then it'll all work out in the end and all of that is completely unbiblical i hear this all of the time Honestly, I love trying to reach people for Jesus. I love having spiritual conversations. And the thing I hear more than anything else is this idea. Well, I don't know about all of that, Pastor. I don't know about all those things that you're saying. But I just believe if you just if you just believe in some higher power, if you just do enough that you think is right, if you just believe in something and you just try to love other people and you believe, and we all believe in some different higher power, but as long as I just love people and try to do what's right and as long as I just try to do enough things and it'll all kind of work out in the end and all of that is complete heresy, everybody. That's not what Jesus said. He said, well, if you just believe in some anything and you just love people enough and i just believe you know some of those things and as long as it'll all just kind of work out except for the fact jesus said i am the way and the truth and the life and nobody comes to the father except through me except for the fact that he said that and so we have to come to grips with the idea that we have redefined what good means good in the bible means sinless there's no way you're ever going to earn your way to heaven no way you're ever going to earn there's this spiritual garbage that's tried to work into the church this 51 percent theology that just says if i could just do a little more good than bad then it'll all work out in the end i promise you that's not how it works jesus said i am the way the truth and the life there will be a lot of good people in hell and we have to understand that it's not about trying to just do more good than we have done bad when we make mistakes the bible says romans chapter 6 the wages of that sin is death It's not the wages of that sin is if you can just outweigh it with something else, then you can escape. No, it says when we sin. Biblical definition of good is sinless. And so when we sin, we are under the curse. And the Bible says the wages of that sin is death. All of us have sinned. All of us have experienced that death in our lives. All of us have experienced that. And so I want to just tell you this Easter. The good news of the gospel is not that you can try really hard. And make your way to heaven. The good news of the gospel is not that you can can do this under your own effort. The good news of the gospel is not that you can somehow make it happen. And it will somehow work out in the end. The good news of the gospel is Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. That he came to bring them to life. That we have experienced death. The wages of sin is death. The miracle of Easter resurrection power of Jesus. My favorite Easter verse. Revelation chapter 1. I read it every year. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. Watch this. It says, I am he, this is Jesus talking, who lives and was dead. I love that phrase. You ought to circle that in your Bible. If you haven't already, some of these past years, this idea that he says, I was dead. Because listen to me, every other religion's founder is dead. Ours was dead. Come on, somebody. That he says, I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And then I love this. He just amens himself. Like, amen, brother. Just come on, right? Like, I don't know if it was a flat service or something like, Baptist church or something. I don't know. He just, he just amens himself. And so I thought it's just biblical when I do that. It's just, just amen, brother. He just amends, And then he says that he says, I don't know. He said, I don't know what you're thinking about Easter. I don't know what you think. He says, but I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. He says, I rose again and now I have the keys of Hades and of death, which means it doesn't matter how dark your life is. It doesn't matter what hell you might be walking through. It doesn't matter how hopeless you think your situation is or how much you have given up on your life. Your God has not given up on you. And he says, I rose from the dead. The resurrection power that raised Jesus out of that tomb, he says, now lives inside of you. And so it doesn't matter how far gone you think your situation is. It doesn't matter how dark you think your life has become. There is no person that is beyond God's grace and there is no situation or condition that is beyond God's repair. That God says he, is, he was dead and now is alive. That he has conquered and trampled death, hell and the grave. That he holds the keys of life and death. That he holds the keys of any hell you could possibly walk through. That your God looks at you and says it doesn't matter what you have walked through. It does not matter where you have come from. It does not matter how far gone you think you are. That your God's power is greater than anything you would ever walk through in this world. That he loves you, that your God is for you and not against you. That greater is he who is inside of you than anything you would ever walk in this world. Anything you would ever encounter. Anything that you could ever do. So God is looking at you, that you are a son and a daughter of God. That we can go into Easter with this celebration that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. That is the message of Easter. That you could walk this life. Yeah, we can praise God for that. Man, that you could walk in this life with this confidence and this boldness, knowing your sins are forgiven and that you have been redeemed at the cross. As Jesus said, I hold the keys of death, hell and the grave. That is the message, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he brings dead things to life. Romans chapter six, he says, the wages of sin is death. I want to finish that verse. Then he says, but the gift of God is eternal life, the gift of God. You don't work for it not under your own effort. It's nothing that you did. Paul said that anyone could boast not under our own effort. There is no pride in this. It's nothing that we did. It says it's the gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life. And watch this. I love this part at the end through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'm simply making the case that every single person needs Jesus. We all want to be good. None of us are good enough and every single person needs Jesus. Every single person here today, we are hopelessly lost in our sins. We can never earn our way to God. You are not a good person. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that. We are not good people. We are broken and we are sinful and we are lost in our sins. And the only way, the only way to heaven, the only way to eternal life, the only way to the Father is through Jesus The only way to hit is through Jesus. And we cannot earn our way. Every one of us falls short. But Jesus came to rescue us. That's what Easter is about. That he came to this earth. He lived as a man and he died and he rose again. That anyone could call on the name of Jesus and be saved. That's what Easter is about, the free gift of salvation. If you've never heard that, if you've heard all the rules and you've heard all the laws and you've heard that you need to be a good person and you need to outweigh your bad deeds with good deeds and you need to do all of these things, I promise you all of that. None of that is true. What is true is Jesus came to save the lost. That he came to save those who were lost in their sins. That he came to rescue us on Easter. That's why Paul wrote as we close, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. I want to know Christ. And I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And Easter is not just an event, Easter is an experience that he can bring dead things to life. And I would like to know Christ and the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to take a moment to pray before we go. That God would raise some dead things back to life. All of us lost in our sins, all of us experienced the wages of sin that are death. All of us have experienced that in our life. But we have come to the place, those of us who have accepted Christ, those of us who call ourselves Jesus followers, we recognize I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. But I know the one who is. I know the one who gave his life for me that I could be saved. Would you bow your heads with me today as I pray? I just want you to take a spiritual inventory right now. Even if you think you're good, even if you think you're in the right place, even if you think right now, just take spiritual inventory. Where are you in your own journey of faith? Have you placed your trust in Jesus? Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard the gospel. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard it as simple as it can be. Maybe it's the first time you've ever recognized that you're not good enough. Or maybe you started this thing outright. Maybe you started it putting your trust in Jesus, but you've tried to sustain it by trying under your own effort. And all it's done is left you broken and had the life sucked out of you. Maybe like Paul said, you started this thing by trusting. Maybe you started this thing and it, it was all right at the beginning, but now you've tried to sustain it by trying and you've had the life sucked out of you. And you find yourself far from God today. I just want you to know no matter how you got there, no matter how you got where you are, doesn't matter how far you are, doesn't matter how you got there, I just want you to know Jesus loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And I promise you, I promise you this Easter, He wants you. It's too many times in our lives as humans we get into a dark place or we get depressed or we get far from God and we begin to tell ourselves the lie that God could never want a person like me. that maybe he wants everybody else, but never a person like me, I promise you. If you're in the room right now, you're watching online, wherever you are, I promise you He wants you. He wants you. So right now, every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you've never prayed that prayer. Maybe you have run far from God. Maybe you've found yourself a million miles away. I want to give you an opportunity right now to accept him as your Lord and Savior, to put your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to make you come to the front. I'm not looking to take you to a separate room after service. This is between you and Jesus. But I promise you right now, he wants you. And I promise you right now, he is close. The Bible says he is close to the brokenhearted. He will hear you when you call. So as a church right now, I just want you to know we're praying for you. We're not looking to put the evil eye on you. We're not looking to pressure you into anything, but I just promise you, this is the step you take if you want eternal life, that you would put your faith in Jesus that you would commit with your mouth and you would believe with your heart that Jesus died on the cross and that God rose him from the dead, that anyone could call on the name of Jesus and be saved. And so right now, we're going to pray this prayer with you. Nobody prays alone. Church, right now, if you want to commit your life right now, say these words. Say, Jesus, save me. I repent of my sins. I believe you died on the cross. And I believe you rose again and I make you the Lord of my life in Jesus' name. Now, church, I cannot imagine a better time or better place to give your life to Jesus than Easter Sunday. I just want you to know all of heaven is celebrating with you. All of us, we are congratulating and celebrating you made that choice. It's your first step that now you are on the way to eternity, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. So right now, Father, I thank you again for the miracle of Easter. I thank you again for the power that rose Jesus from the dead that now lives inside of us. And God, I thank you for every person here. Lord, I know that all of us walk through dark times. All of us, God, have walked through moments of distress or depression or times, Lord. And we thank you for the promise of your word and for the victory that you secured at the cross of Calvary. Once again, we say thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. That you died on that cross. That you carried our sins. That you died and then you rose again. That our hope and our eternity is secure in you. And so God, I thank you right now that you hold the keys of death, hell, and the grave. That you hold the keys of any hell we could ever walk through. That you bring dead things to life. And so right now I pray over every marriage, God, that we think may be too far gone. I pray over every situation that we think is too far for your touch to have. I pray over every scenario that we find ourselves in, every broken person, every broken emotion, every broken relationship, that you would continue, Lord, to bring dead things to life. You are a resurrecting God. That the power of the grave, the power that brought Jesus back out to life, the power that raised him from the dead now lives in us, we thank you for the power that we experience in our own lives, that you are still bringing dead things to life, that you are still touching lives. You are still touching marriages. You are still touching relationships. You are still doing a work today. We thank you that we serve an ever living God. We thank you that the tomb is empty and that Jesus is alive. We put our trust and our faith in you. One more time, we say thank you in Jesus name we pray and all the church said amen and amen. Come on church, can we celebrate today?